morning, everyone online. Um, I Welcome to the second Sunday in Lent, um, and I want to encourage you, if you uh, haven't yet been participating in our Reading John together uh, throughout the season of Lent, uh, where basically we had broken down the Gospel of John into daily readings, um, and uh, you can um, go on our website and you can download a PDF of the daily readings, or you can register to receive daily emails into your inbox, um, and you can go join our Reading Together Facebook group where uh, we actually have discussion on the daily readings as well. So I encourage you, if you haven't jumped in yet, it's not like, you know, if you didn't start, you can't start. So you just begin today and start with today's reading. So I encourage you to do that. And if you are on Facebook, to hop into the Reading John Together Facebook group so we can uh, increase our discussion and participate. Because I'd love to know what you guys are thinking and feeling and things that God might be speaking to you as you're reading the scripture. I think it's really cool to be able to get insight into people's devotional lives and, and, and to be able to start conversations based on questions you might have and stuff like that. So it's a lot of fun. So uh, <coughs> there once was a stonecutter who wondered if what he had in life was enough, who wondered if what he had become was enough. There was this sense of dissatisfaction lodged somewhere deep down in his soul, a lingering feeling of insecurity that he just couldn't seem to shake. Anybody ever have feelings like that? Well, one day he passed a wealthy merchant's house, and there through the open gateway, he saw all this amazing stuff and all these important people. How powerful that merchant must be, thought the stonecutter. And he became really envious and wished that he himself could become like the merchant. Well, to his great surprise, he suddenly became the merchant, enjoying more luxuries and power than he had ever imagined. Well, then one day, a high official passed by, carried in one of those sedan chairs, accompanied by attendants and soldiers who were beating gongs. And every ma everybody, no matter how wealthy they were, had to uh, bow low before this procession as it passed by. And how powerful that official must be, thought the merchant now. I wish I could be like that high official. And so just like before, he became the high official carried everywhere in that embroidered chair, with everyone having to pay homage to him. Now it was a hot summer day, so the official now felt very uncomfortable in his now sweaty sedan chair. He looked up at the sun. The sun shone proudly on him, totally unaffected by his powerful presence. He thought, wow, here's something more powerful than I, the sun. I wish I could be the sun. And just like that, he became the sun, shining fiercely down on everyone, whether they liked it or not. But before he knew it, a, a black storm cloud moved between him and the earth so that his light could no longer shine on everybody down below. How powerful that storm cloud must be, he thought. I wish I could be a cloud and just like that. He became a cloud, flooding the fields and villages with his rain. But soon he found that he was being pushed by an even greater force and realized it was the wind. 
how powerful it is, he thought. I wish I could be the wind. And just like that, he became the wind, blowing tiles off the roofs of houses and uprooting trees. But after a while, he came up against something that would not move no matter how forcefully he blew against it. A huge, towering rock. And he thought, man, that rock must be powerful. I want to be like that rock. And just like that, he became the rock. More powerful than anything else on earth. But as he stood there, he heard the sound of a hammer pounding a chisel into the hard surface and felt himself being changed. And he thought, what could be more powerful than I? He looked down and far below him was the figure of a stonecutter. You see, in that moment, his eyes were open to the truth, the truth we all desperately need to hear and experience ourselves. See, there are times where we wonder if who we are and what we have is enough. And so we, like the stonecutter, are in need of revelation. So that being the case, as we continue our series entitled The Unexpected Ways of Jesus, we want to ask God to speak this same truth into our lives so that our eyes can be opened as well. So that we can be transformed by the surprising, often unexpected ways that Jesus calls us to live. So let's pray in uh, preparation to encounter Jesus as we continue this journey through John's gospel. God, we recognize your presence here with us. We recognize your power and grace at work within us. Uh, we ask that you would have your way in our hearts and minds this morning, that you would illuminate the reading of the scripture. We yield to you and say, come have your way. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So I'm going to be in John's gospel, starting in verse 1 of chapter 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. 
Well, at this point in John's gospel, we might say, uh, to use today's language, that Jesus' ministry has gone viral. Uh, you know, if this was happening today, Jesus would be trending all over social media for sure. You know, stories of healing would be liked and shared, uh, and every appearance of Jesus would therefore draw a really large crowd. Well, it was no different on this particular day when Jesus and his disciples are spotted crossing the Sea of Galilee, which is somewhat unfortunate. And I say that because, as the other Gospels make clear, Jesus is seeking some privacy here. They've just returned from a highly successful uh, preaching and healing tour and are desperately in need of some rest. I mean, Jesus was very uh, good at practicing rhythm of rest and engagement, rest and engagement. And so he invited his disciples off for some rest. And so they go to the, to the hills east of the Sea of Galilee, the area today known as the Golan Heights. Uh, nicest spot, I guess, is any for a brief retreat. And brief it was, because this vacation was interrupted by what the gospel says is a great crowd of people. How great? Well, the text numbers at, at 5,000 men. So once you factor in the women and the children who are most certainly there, the number is likely more than double that, maybe even triple. In other words, the magnitude of this crowd makes the last visit from your in-laws seem pretty, in, pretty welcoming. Now, if my in-laws happen to be watching this, I love you guys, and you are always welcome at our house. Yet, I want you to notice what Jesus does here. He accepts this interruption, right? He never wishes them away. He never bemoans his situation. He's completely present to them, so much so that he's able to let go of his need for solitude, for more time to himself, and he's now open to recognize the need of the crowd, which happens to be hunger. And in response to the need, Jesus asked Philip, one of his disciples, where they should go buy bread so that this crowd doesn't go hungry. Now, we have to realize that this question is almost laughable. It's absurd. There's no way on earth they can buy bread for that many people. It's an impossible situation, which makes Philip's actions all the more strange. Philip surveys the crowd, gets out his calculator, crunches the numbers, and concludes, too many people, not enough money. <laughs> you think? He says it would take a half a year's wages to feed this many people. And so Philip, we suspect accurately assesses the situation and concludes, I got nothing. I got nothing to offer here. And then there's Andrew. Uh, this is the one who's always struggled in the shadow of his brother Simon Peter. And Andrew comes across a boy, a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Now, barley is the kind of bread that the peasants ate. Um, it was probably most likely like our little dinner rolls that we would have. And so they had five of these little dinner rolls and then two small, uh, little salted things, you know, kind of like sardines almost. This is a little bag lunch for a little peasant boy. Now, who knows what Andrew was thinking? We can only guess. But he brings the boy and his little bag lunch to Jesus. Now, I want us to pause and consider for a moment the significance of this action. In any boardroom, work group, staff meeting, Andrew would have been ignored at best, most likely ridiculed. I mean, what is this, Andrew? We're looking for real solutions here. I mean, come on, get real. 
And most likely, these doubts were lingering in the back of Andrew's own mind and is reflected in that caveat that he, uh, that he adds when he says, how far will they go, go among so many? Like, here's this little boy and his bag lunch, but like, really, how far will that go? But it's all I got. Yet, I think that caveat shouldn't prevent us from seeing the remarkable humility and trust that Andrew exhibits. If Andrew had any more pride or any less trust, he probably would have ignored the boy and his bag lunch and simply agreed with Philip. I got nothing. So Philip had nothing. Andrew, barely anything. And even what he had wasn't even his own. But Andrew chose to offer his barely anything to Jesus. And again, Jesus, just like he did with the crowds, he accepts it. He doesn't marginalize it as a stupid idea uh, or wishful thinking. He doesn't bemoan the situation. Quite the opposite, actually. He received what Andrew had to offer, and then he gives thanks for it. I mean, just think about that alone. The fact that he receives what Andrew brings to him and then actually shows gratitude for it. I mean, that alone could teach us a lot right there. And in the hands of Jesus, Andrew's offer of barely anything, this little bag lunch, becomes more than enough. Look at verses 11 and 12 again. It says that Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. See, we're not talking about a snack here, just a little something to tide them over till they got home. We're talking about everybody eating as much as they want and them having enough. Not to mention that there was enough left over to fill 12 baskets full. This is a picture of abundance, right? Not scarcity. It's a picture of overflowing abundance. And I suspect Andrew was thoroughly blown away. I mean, when Andrew first brought the little boy in his bag lunch to Jesus, he most likely had no idea what God could possibly do with that, what he had, and yet he discovered that in Jesus' hands it was enough, more than enough. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that, that, that Philip, even though Philip thought he had nothing, if he would have simply offered himself and said, I've got nothing, Jesus, or at least I think I have nothing, but I'm going to offer myself to you, that in Jesus' hands, somehow it would have been enough. I think this is where the gospel confronts us with the startling, unexpected truth that we so desperately need to hear, and that is that who you are in this very moment and what you have or don't have is more than enough. It's more than enough. God is simply inviting us to offer ourselves and whatever it is we have and trust that it's enough for God to do a work in our lives, for Jesus to begin to meet a particular need, for the Spirit to begin a surprising work of transformation. So, so often we ourselves have no idea what to do in certain situations. 
But the starting point is always to just bring what we have to the attention of Jesus. Because you never can tell what he's going to do with it. That's the unexpected part. But chances are, whatever it is, it's going to be new, it's going to be creative, and it's going to be life-giving. And I see, I, I, see I, I really think that this is where we find ourselves now caught up in the story. Uh, this is where we ourselves encounter Jesus. Let me ask you this. Who do you identify with in this story more, Philip or Andrew? Who do you identify more with, Philip or Andrew? Like, wherever you're at in life right now, whatever your circumstances happen to be, do you feel like Philip or Andrew? You know, in the face of such overwhelming need, maybe the need for healing, right? The need for, for resources. You feel like maybe you're just scraping by right now. Or maybe the need for freedom or, or for relationships. The need for more time, the need to belong. I mean, we could go on and on and on with your, what your particular needs are in this moment. But in the face of such needs, Philip or Andrew? Like Philip, do you feel like you have nothing to offer? All you see is this insurmountable crowd and you think to yourself, man, I got nothing. My faith is drained. My hope is gone. Or like Andrew, maybe all you've got is five small loaves and two small fish and they're not even yours. They're just some boy's bag lunch and you just convinced him to tag along with you. You've got something, but it ain't much. You've got maybe a little bit of faith, a little bit of hope, a little bit of love. And you wonder, is that enough? Well, the truth that the stonecutter eventually realized is the same truth God wants to speak into your life today. And that is that who you are and what you have is enough. More than enough. God is simply inviting us to offer ourselves and whatever it is we have and that's the place where we begin, right where we're at. Like, we can't do anything other than that, <laughs> you know? We can't just change who we are. We can't just have something that we don't have. How we find ourselves today, who we are and what we have, that's where we begin. That's where we start. And that's enough for God to work in our lives. If you were to go into our backyard right now, you'd spot a compost bin uh, buried, well, it's still under a little bit of snow. It was a couple feet of snow. It's been melting. But nevertheless, we add to it all winter long, uh, knowing that deep down in that bin, the leftovers from our kitchen, what many would consider you just useless garbage, that that's the raw material that will start steaming with life as, as the weather warms up, as we come into spring, it will all undergo a radical transformation into rich, healthy soil, providing the context for amazing growth this summer. I want you to look at verse 12 once again, where it says, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. I've said this before, but I believe that in God's economy, Nothing is ever wasted. Not only is God's economy an abundant economy, operates out of this narrative of, of abundance where there's always more than enough. There's not scarcity. It's abundant. But also nothing's ever wasted. Our mistakes, our failures, nothing's ever wasted. 
And I suspect a lot of us live from a place of inner scarcity because of, of our expect. And, and I guess what I mean by that is that we have really low expectations of what God can do in us and through us. And I think one of the reasons why this is the case is because of the past we bring with us. The leftovers of our lives, we might say. You know, previous expectations unmet. You know, times we took a risk and felt like we failed. Brokenness and sin we just can't seem to, to, you know, shake. Healing yet to be experienced, even though we've gotten prayer countless times. These are the so-called, what I would call, leftovers of our lives. I mean, who knows what kind of past Philip and Andrew brought with them in that situation. What played into their expectations or lack of expectations that they had. You know, why did Philip think that he had nothing? Why did Andrew have enough trust to bring that little boy's lunch to Jesus? Like, they had a past, and that past plays into what they expect. Now, I don't know what kind of past you brought with you today, but what I do know is that in God's economy, nothing is ever wasted. And what I mean by that is this, that God takes our leftovers, our scraps, that which we even see as garbage in our own lives, and God transforms it into the soil in which faith, hope, and love grow. What from our point of view might not look like much, or barely anything, in the hands of Jesus becomes more than enough. More than enough for a new beginning, more than enough for a fresh start, more than enough for maybe the start of healing and freedom. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. Who you are and what you have is enough. And see, Jesus isn't discouraged. That's one of the things I love about this passage. Nowhere do we sense Jesus being discouraged by the situation or discouraged by those whom come to him. You know, we are often discouraged by our own self. We're discouraged and we demean who we are and what we have to offer. Our instinct is to put ourselves down, right? But Jesus welcomes us and gives thanks for us. You might even want to just picture that right now. Picture yourself coming to Jesus, maybe even in this insurmountable situation or in the face of this insurmountable need, and Jesus welcomes you to himself. And not only does he welcome you, but he gives God thanks. He says, I, I thank God for your presence. I thank God that you've come to me. There are so many things I can do now that you've come to me. There are so many ways that I want to work in your life. There are so many things that I can do through you to impact other people's lives. If you could only see who you are and what you have, that it is more than enough. If we'll just simply trust him with our whole selves. He will take us. He will offer us to God. And in his hands, the miracle will be repeated. The resources will be multiplied and a multitude will be fed. Receive God's truth today. Who you are and what you have is enough. Amen?